Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Shannon Bream. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. The director of the FBI will get an earful today at a House hearing over allegations there is bias in the Bureau. Things fall heavily on the right side of the political spectrum, on all things Trump, on all things to the right. You cannot argue that if that is not the case, if you know anything about investigations at all. I'm Jared Halpern. Ukraine's president is disappointed. His country isn't getting invited to join NATO yet. There was never a possibility that Ukraine would become a part of NATO as an ally with Article 5, because that would have put us right into a war uh, with Russia with our boots on the ground. We speak with former NATO ambassador Kay Bailey Hutchison. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. It all boils down to this. We can't trust the FBI or the Department of Justice. That sets the stage for today's hearing at the House Judiciary Committee. FBI Director Christopher Wray faces tough questions from Republicans like Congressman Darrell Issa, who tells Fox. Right now, that trust isn't there. And it isn't there in the suppressing of Americans' free speech. It's there in in how they treated with Hunter Biden's uh, laptop. It goes deeper than that, which is why some Republicans want to impeach Director Ray and or Attorney General Merrick Garland. Committee Chairman Jim Jordan has been investigating what he says is the weaponization of government against conservatives. If you're a parent attending a school board meeting, you're a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, or you're a Catholic simply going to mass, you are a target of the government, target of the FBI. Democrats disagree. Congressman Jerry Nadler said at a hearing in April. They are using their public offices and the resources of this committee to protect their political patron, Donald Trump. It is an outrageous abuse of power. It is, to use the chairman's favorite term, a weaponization of the House Judiciary Committee. But some within the FBI, or who used to work for the FBI, think there is bias. Unfortunately, what you see is aggressive, thorough, proactive, almost, you know, scorched earth investigations of all things related to Trump. Chris Swecker is a former assistant FBI director who was in charge of the criminal investigative division. You know, Hillary Clinton, kid gloves investigation, drawn out, you know, no search warrants. Mother, may I have those 5,000 emails? Oh, yes, you can pick through them and decide what you're going to give us versus search warrants subterfuge interviews with, you know, General Flynn, just scorched earth, you know, FISA, wiretaps, dawn raids, SWAT teams. It's a striking contrast. And I have a lot of experience in criminal investigations and how the FBI operates and, and should operate according to the attorney general's guidelines. Do you think that FBI Director Ray himself is behind what Republicans say is weaponization? Is he the one or is this merrick garland is it, is it president biden it's the people around him and clearly merrick garland and i think you know in the fbi 
Chris Ray or, or the executives at the FBI, do not push back at the Justice Department the way we used to when I was in the FBI. We were very guarded when it came to the Department of Justice in the sense that we knew that there were at least 40 political appointees within DOJ. Things work, I think, like they do in the arena of public corruption, where you don't really get a quid pro quo. You don't get someone saying, I want you to do this and this, and here's the way you're going to do it in exchange for something. I think it's a wink and a nod, like, like happens in political machines, and everybody understands what they have to do and are, are expected to do, and I think that's what's happening here. Director Ray goes back to the Trump era, 2017. He was not put into office by President Biden. Yeah. Well, Chris Ray was also my counterpart when I was head of the criminal division of the FBI. He was head of the criminal section of the Department of Justice. Okay, so you know so him. Is he, he, is, he, is, he good, is he a good FBI guy? I think he is a good person. I think he's a good lawyer. I think he's, he's got a, a, a lot of experience. But I don't think that he, I don't think he is, understands the FBI and the FBI culture and the way the FBI was intended to be set up. And by that, I mean, he's more DOJ than FBI. Okay. I know Chris Ray. I don't think he's going to fight hard against, you know, decisions that are made by the Department of Justice that are handed down to the FBI. The Hunter Biden investigation that Republicans are doing, there's a lot of facets to it. There was a showdown in June with the House and Republicans, with the FBI director, over a particular document that contains a whistleblower allegation over the possibility of a bribe involving then-Vice President Biden, and it was involving Hunter Biden, of course. It took a while, but Director Ray allowed members of the committee to see the document, to see what's part of this allegation. Do you think that the director did the right thing there? Ultimately, he made the document available, but not widely. And, in, in you know, two, I think two senators or two legislators were given access to the unredacted document, and then the balance were given a, a document that was redacted. And the piece that was redacted was very important. It involved 15 recordings. See, when you're looking at, at something like an informant report like this, and this was a an experienced, uh, vetted, credible informant, you look for corroboration and follow-up investigation. That, and that's what I think Congress is and should be looking at, is why didn't they follow up aggressively on this as if it were a lead involving Donald Trump. But it, it seems like they didn't and they weren't thorough. But in this case, this one, I think it, when, it, when it comes to protecting the reputation of the FBI and the credibility of the FBI, this should have come out much sooner because they are hemorrhaging support from the general public, from people that I know, judges, heads of law enforcement agencies, everyday citizens that I know were, you know, previously were strong supporters of the FBI, are not now because the perception is that they don't investigate anything to the left of the political spectrum, but anything to the right, it's scorched earth. There was this year, of course, a hearing where FBI whistleblowers came forward. They had been critical. They had questioned the FBI's conduct in the January 6th investigations dating to the 2021 riot at the Capitol. And they allege that they were targeted and they were retaliated against for what they did. And then the FBI had come out and said that, well, they basically were uh, sympathetic or extremists in their own way related to this investigation. What's your reading of all that? Well, 
their whistleblowers are complicated because sometimes they have their own agendas. You always have to look at that and, and again, try to corroborate things that they're saying. But the sheer volume of whistleblowers that have popped up both within the FBI on regarding January 6th, IRS regarding the Hunter Biden investigation, and, and just in my own talking to people in the FBI and outside the FBI, there is a perception that the theme of this entire conversation we're having, there is a perception that there's a dual standard of, of investigation and a dual standard of justice within the federal system. And if you see people from the inside coming forward and saying that, and in this case, they're saying, yeah, right-wing extremists are pursued far more aggressively than left-wing like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, anarchist groups who have done a tremendous amount of damage, property damage, assaults, arsons, et cetera. You know, I take it with a grain of salt, but I also, you know, it looks to me like this is the, that these are credible allegations because I, I, I come to the same conclusion myself. One of the Republicans running for president, Chris Christie, who is a leading critic of former President Trump, defends FBI Director Ray, telling Fox News Sunday he's done a very good job. Christopher Ray has come in and fired every person that was in the Comey leadership team in the FBI. These whistleblowers have come out because the atmosphere has allowed it to happen now, not during the Comey era. Christie blames bias on the president and attorney general. I know Chris Christie from the same era that I was associated with Chris Ray. He was the U.S. attorney in New Jersey. He's very aggressive. He's a very good attorney. He's a very, in my opinion, a very good person and has good judgment. I'm not saying that Chris Ray should be fired, but I think the system that he's operating under right now, we need to create a separation between the Department of Justice and the FBI because the FBI is being manipulated, I think, and I don't think Chris has been strong enough pushing back. If you're a reasonable person, and objective. And you look at these investigations on a spectrum since uh, Jim Comey and the Hillary Clinton investigation, and you're really objective, you can't help but conclude that things fall heavily on the right side of the political spectrum, on all things Trump, on all things to the right. It, you cannot argue that it, that is not the case if you know anything about investigations at all. Now, Trump critics have said he made things worse for himself, obstructing, saying oh, yeah. the classified document situation or uh, moving things around, not giving over documents when asked. That's different than, say, what they claim President Biden did, where there hasn't been the same kind of allegation of moving boxes or trying to withhold. Yeah, he is impetuous and he does undermine his own defenses. He's a defense attorney's nightmare. I mean, he, they should put a shock collar on him because he does and says things that are, um, you know, sort of pugilistic. He wants to fight all the time. And that's not optimum when you're trying to build a credible defense. I'm going to say that he brings some of this on, particularly in the documents investigation. But when it comes to Russia collusion, for example, that was a fully unpredicated investigation. From day one, it was opposition research. It was improper, illegal. It never should have been opened. And you can understand his frustration starting from the very beginning of his presidency or even his candidacy. Even during that time frame, I mean, he does things like demand loyalty, personal loyalty, and, and insinuate that, hey, maybe you can do something about the Flynn case. You know, he, he walks right up to the line of obstruction. What would you want Christopher Ray to say? 
at the hearing on Wednesday. He needs to understand that the FBI's credibility has been shaken to the core. And the more transparency, the better at this stage. We need to understand why this perception, you know, why things have been done differently on one side, the Trump, the Republican side versus, you know, any, anything progressive or left wing. And it's, it just can't be a coincidence that things aren't, you know, the Hunter Biden investigation has so many holes in it and it has so many questionable things and decisions that, that were made along the way to not investigate, not ask questions of, about the big guy, the, the laptop, disavowing the laptop, letting, the, letting the, you know, these bozos from the intelligence community say it was a Russian misinformation campaign, on and on and on. You know, he needs to explain why you know, we don't need to know the nuts and bolts and details of investigations. We need to know why certain techniques are good for one side, but not the other. And, and investigations are pursued aggressively over here, but not over there. Chris Swecker, former assistant director of the FBI, was in charge of the criminal investigative division, former FBI agent, current attorney. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Take care. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. Ukraine's president wants to know when his nation will be invited to join NATO and isn't pleased with the answers he has. In a Twitter statement early Tuesday, Volodymyr Zelensky said it's unprecedented and absurd. A time frame for an invitation to the alliance is not set, complaining NATO leaders are not serious about his country joining. NATO Secretary General says when conditions are right, Ukraine will be able to join. We will also send a clear message to Ukraine that we stand by them as long as needed. Jens Stoltenberg also read out a communique agreed to by all NATO leaders that Ukraine's future is in NATO and the alliance will extend an invitation when conditions are met. President Biden says he agrees with that language. We're looking for a continued United NATO. They've heard me say, my American president heard me say many times, I still think that, uh, that President Putin thinks the way he succeeds is to break NATO. Not going to do that. NATO has also agreed to make joining easier for Ukraine once an invitation is extended by waiving a membership action plan requirement. Not at all a surprise. I think what they have done is exactly what they should have done and what they have been discussing for many months. Former Texas Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison was America's ambassador to NATO during the Trump administration and says equally as important to Ukraine's potential membership during this week's summit is the hardening of NATO defenses on its eastern flank. I think that it's very clear on what they will do for Ukraine and the commitment to Ukraine. Uh, but I think there's some parts in there that 
they have been working on for quite a while that really hardened the defenses for Europe and for NATO. And I think those things are not being really covered very well. Mostly it's uh, about what exactly is in Ukraine. And then, of course, Sweden, which is huge uh, and, and a great um, addition. But I think the hardening of the defenses hasn't been covered as well. And it's the most important big thing that the summit is doing. I mean, some of that hardening is on that eastern. I mean, it's notable, for instance, that this summit was in Vilnius, was in Lithuania. Well, that's right. Uh, the summits move around, but this one uh, being in one of the Baltic states was uh, a part of the symbol that we are going to be there for uh, the security of the Baltic countries and the Eastern European countries that are clearly uh, concerned about this Russian invasion. As I was sort of going through the list here of things in the communique, there is a lot of talk about rapidly expanding nuclear arsenals and threats from China and from North Korea, from Iran. I mean, those aren't countries that generally you think about in the NATO context. Generally, you think about European security. Is this a signal that NATO could expand to not just an Atlantic partnership, but a Pacific one as well? Yes, I think that this all really started with the U.S. Uh, strategic review back in 2019, where uh, we declared that our great power competition is going to happen with China, especially, and Russia as well, but Russia being more of the junior partner in this autocratic regime. So I think at that point, uh, the Secretary General of NATO, along with U.S. leadership, uh, decided that it was time to start reaching out globally and bringing in some of the Asia-Pacific partnerships, the bigger uh, mm -hmm. democracies and economies, to try to forge a unity that will deter a belligerent adversary, whether it be China, Russia, Iran, or uh, North Korea. I think we are preparing for a bigger potential need for security, for, for common security. Is that just through influence, or do you see a scenario in which, say, Japan or South Korea, like, ask to join NATO? I don't think that anyone's talking about joining NATO, but I think NATO, by inviting the four Asian democracies— uh, to their summit last year and then again this year, there's clearly going to be a NATO function for interoperability and a common security cooperation. And it's not going to necessarily be uh, joining a transatlantic alliance, but it is bringing partners in that, frankly, have been our partners in our missions. Um, the Asia-Pacific democracies have participated with us in other missions that we have. So there is already an interoperability, but I think that will uh, strengthen going forward.
Let's talk about the expansion of NATO. Uh, Obviously, a big breakthrough as it relates to Sweden's ascension into the alliance. It appears that the differences with Turkey have been resolved. Do you expect this now to be fast-tracked and and Sweden to be welcomed uh, into the alliance here in a matter of, what, weeks, months? Oh, I think that now that Turkey has given their word and Hungary has to do that. Hungary has already said they will accept Sweden when Turkey does. Um, I would say you're looking at weeks, and it's just a matter of the processes of parliaments being able to convene and pass the acceptance. And I think those two will act now. Um, Turkey will keep their word, I believe. And that will be uh, then the accession of Sweden and along with Finland. And let me say that they are such a value added. Uh, they will contribute more to NATO than we have had in really since the beginning of NATO mm-hmm. to have countries that are so capable and already interoperable in our cooperation on defense. And, you know, Finland's already in the 2%. They're one of the countries that has been at 2% because they've had such a long border with Russia that they have Mm. built up their defenses. So they're very capable. And I think Sweden will be as well. Let's talk about NATO as it relates to Ukraine. Obviously, a big part of this summit, we saw that statement uh, put out by the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky this morning, who seems pretty angry that I don't know what he expected to happen if it was if he expected sort of a formal invitation or or what. But it seems that, you know, NATO seems to think that they've made some pretty big concessions here to move forward with Ukraine eventually joining the alliance. Zelensky seems to see this differently. That's correct. And and I think that it's unfortunate that uh, President Zelensky does not see what major steps have been taken. They are huge. And I think that everyone in the alliance is ready for uh, this to continue in the path toward membership in the alliance by uh, Ukraine. But there was never a possibility that Ukraine would become a part of NATO as an ally with Article 5, because that would have put us right into a war uh, with Russia with our boots on the ground. And that was not going to happen. And I think that thinking that it would, or putting a timetable on it when you don't know what the end of the war is going to be, is not a realistic expectation. And I'm sorry for that, because I think President Zelensky has been very brave and his spirit and his leadership is incredible. But I don't think it was ever realistic to have an invitation to a country to become an Article 5 ally mm-hmm. when that, they are in a war. A, that's at a state of war. Yeah. You don't know what yeah. the end is going to be. I mean, you don't even know what the borders are going so, to be. So. When NATO says that we will be in a position to extend an invitation to Ukraine to join the alliance when allies agree and conditions are met, that does seem like a vague statement. What does that mean to you? It means that after the war is over, part of the whole aftermath of the war is going to be rebuilding, help in the rebuilding of 
Ukraine, because, of course, we all know and have watched the devastation of the infrastructure of that great country. And so it means that after the war, when we know what the boundaries are and when we are able to look at the formation of the government, that they will be invited to join. I think everyone has the intention of Ukraine becoming a part of NATO. And I think that um, it's hard to say to someone like President Zelensky, just be patient uh, because he's done so much, but he has to be realistic. One final question, and that's just about uh, Secretary General Stoltenberg agreeing to to keep that job for a little bit longer. What was your reaction to that news? I was so relieved because he has been an incredible leader. He has been able to keep the unity, which has been fractious at points in his term. Um, (laughs) There have been disagreements. There are uh, Eastern and Western European disagreements. There are U.S. and European disagreements, Canadian disagreements, and then Turkey. And Turkey has certainly been a uh, delicate uh, situation on several fronts. So Jens Stoltenberg is really exceptional. And as the former prime minister of Norway, he has the leadership capabilities to keep the unity and also to look for ways to bridge divides. He is very adept at that. And I was very pleased that he was offered well, not offered. <laughs> he was <laughs> persuaded, I would say, uh, to uh, keep that job for another year because he was really ready to go home. Um, but uh, he did accept. And, you know, he is a servant leader. He he yeah. wants to do the best for uh, his country and the whole alliance. And he has done an amazing job. He has certainly put his stamp on our our alliance. Well, there's no doubt about that. Ambassador Hutchinson, I appreciate the expertise, the analysis as well. Uh, Have a very nice uh, evening, a great day. Well, thank you very much. And in other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. Nothing gold can stay, even at the golds and arches. Some bad news for those with a sweet tooth. Gone are the days of McDonald's McCafe bakery items like the apple fritter, the frosted cinnamon bun, and the blueberry muffin. The New York Post confirming it's all happening faster than you can say I'm loving it. They'll be gone this week. Social media flooded with memoriams for the sweet treats, but some haters took to the comments to say the offerings were boring. The bakery items first launched nationwide in 2020 in an effort to bring in more customers for breakfast, but were available all day. For the good news, last month McDonald's announced it'll bring back its Oreo frappe for a limited time at certain locations. And reps from McDonald's say that chocolate chip cookies, baked apple pie, and frozen desserts made the cut to keep their spot on the menu. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. 
That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, everyone. It's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So the 4th of July was over a week ago, but if you flew anywhere for the holiday, there's a good chance you're still trying to get back. I know it because this past weekend, my flight was added to the list of thousands of trips that got canceled due to a multitude of factors, including bad weather, staff shortages, and the general fact that nothing runs right in this country anymore. Yeah, America's supposed to be the Michael Jordan of countries, the best of all time. Well, it definitely feels like we're going through that phase where Jordan's playing minor league baseball. Something is definitely off, and nowhere is that more apparent than on airlines. First off, there have been so many fights on commercial jets that Brad Pitt could make a movie called Flight Club, where people book trips just to get in brawls. And it's no wonder they're angry. Not only did they force us to wear masks for two years, but even after we took them off, the airlines kept covering us in extra fees. Baggage fees, seating fees. Pretty soon, during the pre-flight announcements, they're going to tell you that in the event of a change in cabin pressure, swipe your MasterCard or Visa and pull down on the oxygen mask. Your seat cushion can be used as a flotation device for a one-time charge of $76. Now, the good news is this past Sunday, I didn't have to do either of those things. The bad news is my flight home wound up being a drive home after the FAA issued a ground stop at all the regional airports in the Northeast. We were told on the plane that it was due to bad weather in New York. But at the time we were canceled, it was 80 degrees and sunny. In fact, the New York Yankees got in a nine-inning game Sunday afternoon, and the way they're playing, they want to get rained out. My guess is a lot of these mass cancellations are due to a shortage of air traffic controllers, but they don't want to tell us that, so they blame Mother Nature. Regardless, we drove 500 miles from Cleveland. And I know that's a long ride, but I'll take the open road over being stuck in a miserable airport filled with stranded passengers any day of the week. When you grab a car and go, you feel like you've taken control of your life. When you spend 12 hours in the airport, you feel like taking a vial of cyanide. And the truth is, sometimes it's fun driving in other states. For instance, I saw something on the roads of Ohio I've never seen as a New Yorker. A guy actually used his blinker to signal when he changed lanes. In New York, the only signal you get is a middle finger. But these days, more and more people are flipping the bird to commercial airlines, and I can't say I blame them. Between the hidden fees and the shrunken legroom, you're not even flying coach anymore. It's more like assistant coach. But either way you slice it, this is not a playoff team. So what did I learn after watching my flight get delayed 10 times in one day? It's that there's a reason they ask to see your driver's license when you go through security. It's because they just want to make sure you have a way to get where it says on the ticket. Good luck in your summer travels. And remember, life is a highway especially if you were planning on flying somewhere. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to 3 on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for season three of my limited time podcast, Everything Will Be Okay, based on my best-selling book of the same name. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review.